You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. My name is Rochelle Solomon. Hi, my name is Zara Hoffer. My name is Maria. Hello, my name is Nicole Pinto. My name is Amanda Waters. Let me introduce myself. I'm Yao, okay? My full name is Yao Pahoy Sangwan. Well, hi, my name is Jana Moss. My name is Patty Hung. And I am Sheree Louise Turner. And together, we are nine women from around the world who share one goal to run the 2021 Boston Marathon, which takes place this year on October 11th. You're listening to Strides Forward, where we feature stories of women runners. This is episode six of the Roads to Boston series, which is following the journeys of us nine runners to the 125th Boston Marathon. And whether the Boston Marathon is in your future plans or your running interests take a different shape, Join us to energize your own aspirations of reaching big goals. In this episode, you'll learn how we all got into Boston 2021, because you can't just sign up for this marathon, you have to earn your way in. And this makes getting a spot in the race feel like a victory all its own. That also means that there is a story behind everybody's entry, and all of them are years in the making. This is especially true this year since the Boston Marathon has not been run in person for over two years. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes beginning with the trailer, I, of course, would love it if you did. It'll give you greater context and a more complete picture of the series as a whole, and you'll get to know the runners a bit better. However, if you prefer to jump in here, that's fine too. To know, so far in this series, we've covered how we all got started in this sport and what inspired each one of us to pursue marathons. And in the last episode, we looked at what training for a marathon looks like for all of us. We dropped in to get a snapshot of everyone's Boston 2021 preparation right around the halfway point to get a sense of what living the marathon life looks like when you are in the thick of it. And now, on to the journeys that earned each and every one of us a place on the start line of the historic 125th Boston Marathon. To start us off, it's Patty Hung, who, at 75 years old, is running her 35th consecutive Boston Marathon. That will put her at just one Boston shy of the most consecutive Boston Marathons run by a woman in the history of the race. The record is held by Maine's Andrea Hatch, whose 36-year streak ended in 2013. Patty's many, many years of running Boston has put her in a very special club, one she's been a part of for almost a decade. 
In Boston, when you have reached the Quarter Century Club, of course, for 25 consecutive years, you have to qualify. But when you reach the 25th, you are now grandfathered into the race. So you don't have to worry about qualifying times. But being a runner and and having some pride, you want to do well. And that, for me, means that I have to train. And the um, qualifying time, we don't have to abide by, but the quarter century runners have to run under six hours, which to many people who are runners think, oh, we can do that. That's that's. That's a long time running. But as you get older, every year it gets a little bit longer. So my goal is to run definitely under six hours and come out of the race healthy. That's the most important thing. Come out of the race healthy. So Patty's goals these days is to remain healthy and continue to keep her Boston Marathon streak alive. And while she doesn't have to worry about qualifying... For the first 25 years she ran Boston, she did. And as it is for so many runners, reaching that goal the very first time remains a meaningful memory. It was not my first marathon. I had run a couple of marathons over four hours, but I had to run a 320, three-hour, 20-marathon, and I did it. And it it, it was like a miracle because I, I bettered my, my marathon by about a half hour. And, and I did it. I had wonderful friends who were really supporting me. My children were really young. My youngest boy was about five years old. And then when I got my qualification, I, I was in. And it was the most glorious thing. It is a most glorious thing because qualifying for Boston is not easy. And I want to take a moment to clarify this concept of being a qualified Boston Marathon runner. This means that you got into Boston by meeting a time qualification standard, which is based on your age and sex. Those qualifying times are determined by the Boston Athletic Association, or the BAA, the organization that puts on the race. Every time you want to run Boston as a qualified runner, you have to get a qualifying time first. And yes, you can qualify for Boston at Boston. About 80% of the people running the Boston Marathon are qualified runners. When I was first trying to get into this race, I didn't even know there was another way to get an entry. Getting a Boston qualifier or a BQ is a major goal for many runners, as has probably become very evident by now. It is also very important to note here that to actually get into the race, you have to run faster than the qualifying time. This is because for many years now, there are more people who qualify than there are spots for qualified runners. So every year, depending on how many qualified runners apply for their entry, the BAA establishes a cutoff time. That is how much faster than your qualifying time you need to have run to actually get an entry. So, for instance, to get into the 2018 Boston Marathon, you had to have run at least 3 minutes and 28 seconds faster than your qualifying time to get in. To be clear here, too, 
Because the cutoff time cannot be determined until after everyone has run their qualifying race and applied for their entry, you never know when you're running your BQ exactly how fast you have to run to get into the Boston Marathon. Usually, if you run five or more minutes faster than qualifying, you're in pretty good shape. But until you get that official notification from the BAA, you just don't know. And that's why you'll hear us talk again and again about eagerly waiting for that email notification. All of the qualified runners who are towing the line at Boston 2021 have gone through this email notification process not once, but twice. First, they got into Boston 2020. But, as we all well know, that event was canceled due to the pandemic. To get into Boston 2021, you had to resubmit your time, but for this year's event, the field size was reduced by one-third of what it had been for 2020. This meant that the cutoff time was more severe than ever, 7 minutes and 47 seconds. So yes, this means that a lot of runners, over 9,000 in fact, who got accepted into the 2020 marathon, did not get an entry into the 2021 event. And you're going to hear from one of them a little later in this episode. But for now, I want to return to this topic of running streaks because Patty Hung is not the only one in this group who's building on an impressive number of back-to-back Boston marathons. Amanda Waters has run year after year as a qualified runner for over a decade. And you're going to hear a little bit about how hard it is to keep that kind of a streak alive. And she's also participated in the marathon in more ways than one. I've actually run the Boston Marathon for uh, Boston Children's Hospital for 15 of the 16 years. And then I also work with a lot of charity runners as uh, the coach of the BAA charity team. Um, And for me personally, I I do like to be qualified. Um, The only year I didn't re-qualify for Boston at Boston was the 2012 Boston Marathon when it was really, really hot. And so I needed to find a way to get back in and went out to the Portland, Oregon Marathon to requalify. So I was so freaked out that I wasn't going to make it. And luckily I made it. And that was definitely a different experience for me going out to, to Portland to make sure that I still could run the Boston Marathon. This was a very different experience and not one that Amanda was eager to repeat. She has since redoubled her training efforts to make sure that she qualifies for Boston at Boston, which she has done every year since. Not to be glossed over here is the fact that Amanda is a qualified runner who also runs for charity. Now, while she gets her entry because she's time qualified, there are many runners who are strictly charity runners. About 20% of the people running Boston 2021 have earned their number by raising money for a nonprofit. But you don't just pick any charity and get a few dollars from friends and family. You first choose one of the nonprofits that's part of the BAA charity program. Then you go through an application process. And then you have to raise the money. And it is a lot of money, to the tune of several thousand dollars. All of this, however was nowhere to be found in the thoughts and plans of John Amos 
when she ran the 2018 Twin Cities Marathon, which was also her very first time racing this distance. Obviously, my, my biggest goal was just to finish the marathon, but that was always in the back of my mind when I was doing those long runs and kind of watching the times. It's like, ooh, could I, could I maybe have a chance to qualify here or run a, a good time? Boston is, you know, it's kind of the, the peak, right? Or not the peak, but it's one of those things where you just, I mean, it's tra- tradition. It's this like to be able to run Boston is an experience like no other. And um, it was that draw of just having the possibility of being able to run it that kind of pushed me to try and push my time a little bit. I I finished Twin Cities um, and I finished with a 324 yeah, which was six minutes faster than qualifying, and I was absolutely pumped. You know, it was just that, like, we did it, um, and just the excitement of, and not only the qualifying time, but also just finishing the marathon and the, the atmosphere down at St. Paul. It's, you know, it was just amazing watching people cross the finish line, and, you know, it's just months of training that go into that and that feeling of completing it. Jonna had done it. She'd qualified for the Boston Marathon her very first time running 26.2 miles. And not only had she met the qualifying time, she had given herself a six-minute buffer, which was unquestionably fast enough to gain her entry to the 2020 Boston Marathon. But then the pandemic hit. The 2020 Boston Marathon was canceled. And finally, the October 2021 Marathon was announced with its reduced field limit and the subsequent more severe 7-minute, 47-second time cutoff. For Jana and those other 9,000-plus runners who got the news that they hadn't made this cut, it was a huge disappointment, or as Jana describes it, Oh, devastating. <laughs> I remember opening that email and just thinking, wow, Okay, well, there it goes. <laughs> and I, I think part of it is that um, I don't know. I, I would like to say that if I really try, you know, with more training that I could get another Boston qualifier. But, you know, it had just been kind of two years of off and on training for that, that when I got that email and realized, oh, I guess I'm not running it. It was, I was bummed. I was very bummed out. And that, that day it was hard for me to, I was at work and I remember slogging through my charts and just being like, ah, this is such a bummer. And actually later that evening, then I was looking up, you know, different marathons around that time, because then I was determined to, I wanted to be able to run something. And, um, so I started looking into other marathons and, um, then a few days later, the BAA had put their, you know, I followed them on Instagram and they had posted about the, the BAA charity team and what they stand for, you know, and their, uh, their, their focus is really promoting physical activity, uh, specifically running and bringing it to, to everyone, including underserved communities. And it basically said, if you're interested in joining us, you know, send in your application. And I thought, oh, I never even considered finding a charity team, and I, I should have, but I was like, this is something that I stand for and I feel is very important. So 
submitted an application and a few days later had gotten an email that they wanted to set up an interview. And next thing I knew, I had gotten a message that I was going to be running. So Jonna will be running for the BAA charity team. And as Amanda mentioned, she is a coach for that team. So yes, not only did these two runners end up on the same podcast, they're also working together to prepare for the race. The world is small. Now, there's another far, far, far less common way to get into the Boston Marathon, and that is by earning an invitational number. This is a way for the BAA to honor, build, and strengthen the running community. Some of these bibs are given to local running clubs to give to worthy members, and we heard about that in episode two when Amanda talked about running her very first Boston Marathon. The BAA itself can also, of course, grant bibs directly to individuals it sees as exemplary in some way. And that is exactly what happened earlier this year on that unique Massachusetts April holiday, Patriots Day. To help explain how that all came about, I talked to Suzanne Walmsley, the Director of Youth and Community Engagement at the Boston Athletic Association. So as we approached Patriots Day in 2021, um, the typical day for the running of the Boston Marathon, we really, the Boston Athletic Association really wanted to mark that day in some way. Um, And so the idea of the Patriots Day Mile was one that everybody was really excited about. It was um, an opportunity to really encourage everyone to get active and also to raise funds for Boston area nonprofits whose missions focus on health and wellness. So the idea of a virtual event um, was proposed early on. And again, people were very excited about it because it was something tangible that we could do on Patriots Day, another Patriots Day without the Boston Marathon. And then also really encourage everyone to get out. You don't have to be a marathoner to to run and just really elevate the importance of being active for your own health and well-being. So that's how the mile started. And then as we were looking at it, we wanted to see if there was something we could do at the finish line that day. But as you know, this past year, you really can't plan anything too far in advance um, because we have to be very cautious about all the mitigation strategies. And we work very closely with the city and the state um, who are wonderful partners. And so as it got closer to Patriots Day, there was a possibility to do something live um, and have a celebratory mile at the finish line. Obviously not mass participation, but when we thought about who we should bring in, um, Des Linden was coming in to participate And we thought about people in the community um, that had really given back and consistently give back in a number of ways, um, either through running or having been on the front lines or an essential worker during the pandemic, um, people who help bring people into the sport, and then also those who try and be inclusive um, in bringing people into the sport and into other areas. And so there was a lot of discussion and there are so many great people in the city doing wonderful things. And as the names started to come forward, um, Rochelle was one who was selected uh, to participate in, as one of five people. Cool. So, yeah, Rochelle Solomon gets her email invite from the BAA to join this handful of people, plus 2018 Boston Marathon champion Des Linden, to run the Patriots Mile together in person. But 
As Rochelle noted, the details of what this was all about were not totally clear. So through the organizations I'm involved with, I get to volunteer and just do some cool, awesome things. I volunteer at Demic. I've volunteered at the Stepping Out event. I've volunteered for some of BAA's events. So I get an email. Can the BAA ask you to do something? So I'm just like, okay, this is interesting. Sure. What is it? So it's kind of like, hush, hush, you know. Um, And then they did, you know, say, okay, a few of a few of you community-based and frontline runners will be running across the finish line with Des Linden. We do the run across the finish line. Then there's an invitation to run the Boston, the 125th Boston Marathon. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, I would have never have thought I would have gotten invited to run the 125th running of the Boston Marathon. So, yeah, surprise, Rochelle Solomon had an entry to the 125th Boston Marathon. She'd earned her number on the merit of her years of leadership and contributing to the community in running and beyond. But again, this is a very rare case. Like I mentioned up top, the most common way to get into the Boston Marathon is by becoming a qualified runner which is exactly how I got in and also how Zara, Nicole, Yao, and Maria got their numbers. And for each of us, the path looked a little different. For Maria, who had come to running after pursuing triathlons, her first thoughts about qualifying for Boston were very clear. I thought that it was completely impossible for me. So my first marathons were, were all around four hours, a few minutes less. And then I realized that uh, that I'm never going to to get into Boston. And then I had some, I think, 350 sometimes. And for my age group, I think it's uh, 355. But I I I, I knew that it, that wouldn't be enough. And then uh, I went to New York to run New York, and uh, I ran New York in 340, I think, or 339. And I just couldn't believe that it was really. I thought that it wasn't me who ran that marathon. And then I realized that uh, I was going to have time for for Boston, but I decided to do Chicago and London before that so that I can make, uh, because Chicago and London are, are flatter than New York, definitely, and easier. So I can make uh, even better time and then um, then qualify for, for Boston. And it actually happened in Chicago. I ran 334. That's the year when the world uh, record for women was broken after so many years because the, the weather conditions were just perfect that day in Chicago. So I ran my best race so far, and, uh, and that was my qualifying time for Boston. And then when I, when I got qualified and when I realized that I'm going to Boston, uh, I was really, I think, the happiest person on earth. But for 2021, Maria, like the rest of us, had to resubmit her time and wait to find out if it would be fast enough to make that new cutoff time for the smaller 2021 field of runners. And like everybody else, that news came via email. I mean, when I received that email, I remember where I where I was. I was uh, in my apartment. I started jumping up and down. My kids were looking at me and I was I, ju- I was just screaming, I got in, I got in. Now on to Yao, 
who'd always been an athlete, but had put that part of her life on hold when she had her son. Then, when her brother-in-law was looking for somebody to run with because he wanted to lose some weight, she decided to join him. She discovered she loved the sport and had a talent for running longer distances. And that, eventually, led her to doing marathons. And with each one, she recognized where there was room for getting even faster. Oh, yeah. After the second and the third time, I feel like, wow, I, I gained more confidence. Uh, maybe, maybe I know how to put the effort in each training each day as well. Before I just run, I don't know how to manage, you know. It's very hard, and I never dreamed of to be one of the Boston Marathon runner for, for qualifier for that. Because when I start to run, I think I just run for fun. But then, but then this idea came not because of me, because of my friend. They saw me, my improvement. The the first, the second, and the third is just the same year, and my time was just faster and faster. And they said, "Yeah, you close to qualify for Boston." They said, "Why don't you get a coach? Find a coach for yourself." So why not? Because you know, Boston Marathon is the uh, is signature of every runner dream of. If you want, if you are a runner, it's considered to be you know the race that you have to go. And I start to research about Boston. Wow, it's big history. I think yeah. But anyway, uh, I try. So I, I find a coach and yeah, I did my PB in uh, Osaka, three hour twenty six twenty seven minutes. Yeah, and I'm quite positive that I will qualify for Boston. <laughs> I feel like oh my dream, is this the dream? Is come true? How can it be? You know, like I I feel. Everything I feel happy, satisfied, exciting, and proud, and yeah, and any feeling that <laughs> a runner who qualified for Boston will feel, you know, you're like, oh, finally, I'm one of that. It's a big thing. It's a big deal, you know. It is a big deal to qualify for Boston, and that is why so many of us make it a goal. It's a point of reference that a lot of people understand, and it's achievable for so many. But it does take dedication, and it's hard. For many runners, it's a goal years in the making because it does take time to build up the skills and ability needed to earn your way into this race. And these are skills and abilities that many people, including several runners in this series, thought they'd never have. Zara Hoffer has been among them. When I first started running, Boston was never a goal. Like I never thought it was something that I would be able to do. Like I would see other people that you know were in my run clubs, and they would be training for Boston, and I was like, "Wow, here's my five-hour marathon." <laughs> you know, that's never going to get me there. <laughs> so I had originally qualified. In 2018, I hit the like actual qualifying time that's listed on the Boston Marathon site for my age group. And then when it came time to register for, I guess it would have been the Boston 2019 marathon, um, I missed the the cutoff by 12 seconds. 
<laughs> so I, <laughs> I was like, oh, do I keep doing this? What do, <laughs> do I continue? Um, do I give it another shot? Um, so it was like, well, you know, this is my, I think that was my eighth marathon at the time. Do you just hang it up and, and call it, you know, you, you made it this far. The, the whole point is kind of qualifying. But um, I actually started working with a coach just because I was like, I feel like I'm doing things the right way, but I feel like I could be doing it better. Or at least like having someone that has more expertise and, and being able to coach me along so that I could really get that significant buffer if this was really going to be a goal that I wanted to do. So I did, I feel like I put it behind me pretty quickly. I like, I don't like to dwell on stuff like that. It's like, okay, well that happened. Let's move forward. And move forward is exactly what Zara did. She regrouped and came back the next year stronger and faster and completely determined. And coming into the final kilometers of her qualifying marathon the next year, it hit her that she was going to do it. She was going to run fast enough to qualify with enough of a time cushion that she would most certainly also make the time cutoff and earn her number. I think it was probably, actually, I know exactly when it was. I was coming around the corner. There was probably about three kilometers left in the race at that point. And I rounded the corner around Stanley Park. And um, it's the last little stretch. And then the wind just blew my breath away. And I was like, oh, holy crap, (laughs) like I barely have enough energy to just finish at this point. And now I have to fight against this wind. So it's like, okay, I generally just, you know, the motto I usually just have is like the Finding Nemo Dory saying, just keep swimming, but it's just keep running, just keep running. (laughs) And it was like, Kate, you know, your coach told you when it's windy, throw your arms in little steps and, you know, keep persevering and push through. And then the direction of the course changes. And so the wind is then behind you. And it just is a a slight enough uphill that it's really annoying to finish like that. (laughs) Um, But I had a couple of of co-workers that were um, standing at the around that point just before the finish line. And then another one of my friends who was who generally trains with me and was standing right before kind of you you run into the the main finish line area and you know seeing people that you know and love just gives you that extra boost and so at that point I always get super emotional crossing any finish line and so I'm really cold trying to hold back the tears it's like you're not finished yet so just keep going (laughs) but then coming in into the finish line like I knew because I I was fairly certain that this was going to be the the race that was was going to get me to Boston. So definitely elated when I crossed the finish line. And, you know, you don't get to see your family for quite a while. And so I do remember pulling out my phone and trying to, and just like texting my coach saying, I did it, I did it, I think I'm in. <laughs> and she did get in for 2020. But as this now familiar sequence goes, Zara then had to wait it out to see if she'd make it into Boston 2021. The news of the updated 7 minute and 47 second time cutoff came out, but there was still that final detail of getting the official notification. 
I still hadn't gotten my letter, but I was like, okay, now I'm pretty darn sure that I'm getting in, but it's not actually official until you get the letter. So I was super pumped when, when I got it. Definitely shed a couple tears. <laughs> Zara was far from alone in shedding some tears when she got the news that she'd be running Boston 2021. I know because I am someone who also shed a few tears. I was out on a run and I pulled my phone out to take a picture and I saw the notification that I had an email from the BAA. I did not hesitate to find out what my fate was and it hit me all at once. Yes, I would be spending my summer months training for one of the greatest sporting events I can earn my way into as a 52-year-old athlete. Yes, as someone living near the course, I'd get to share in the excitement that surrounds the build-up to every Boston Marathon, including lots of group runs with other people working toward the same goal. Yes, I got to look forward to being a part of an epic in-person event that I would get to share with thousands of people, runners and spectators alike. And yes, after over a year of isolation and uncertainty, and sadly dismantling one plan after another, I had something amazing to look forward to. Uh, so yes, I shed a few tears standing all by myself on the side of a very busy road in an industrial area of Somerville, Massachusetts, after I took a picture of a very cool mural. Now, Nicole Spaulding's journey to the Boston Marathon isn't so different from many others. She got faster over time. But in the early stages of her journey, it was not clear that this was a distance she even really wanted to do. So I've done five marathons. My first race, I want to say, ran a 4.32 in New York and then a 4.28 in Chicago. So there was really no significant improvement. And even after Chicago, I was like, I don't understand why I keep doing this. This is not fun, you know. Um, I wanted to run 4.15, you know, and I wasn't even close to that. So Boston was not on my radar. I just, I just would never be fast enough to do a race like that. But then I'm not really sure where the switch happened, but the third one was uh, the Ventura Marathon. So my goal was to run sub four hours. Well, I felt like that was, you know, something I could definitely do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the race, it got hot. I kind of gave up. I walked. I crossed the finish line at 4.07. And I was very disappointed. And that's when I learned that I'm a mental runner. I was physically capable, but so mental. Like as soon as I got in my head and I started thinking about, hmm, breakfast sounds good. I'm ready for this to be over. You know, what's the first thing I want to do? The race wasn't over yet, but I, it ended because I, in my mind, told myself it was over. And so I knew how, how much of a struggle you know, it was going to be unless I had my head on right. And so that's not something I ever really had to put much emphasis on, like that positive thinking. And, you know, I learned for Berlin 
what the biggest weakness I had was. And it was that just, you know, sticking to a pace, staying positive, not giving up. And that's where that drop in time came from. Nicole had also gotten a coach and she'd found some training partners. But again, it was that mental training. I have been there too. When I'm done before the finish line, when I question and doubt and wonder why, oh why, I am doing this to myself. And that's a lot of why I stick to this marathon pursuit, because mental strength and endurance is challenging, and it's something you can always improve. Wrapped up in this, too, is confidence. A big aspect of throwing in the towel is losing the belief in yourself that you can actually pull this off. I was recently struck by something elite marathoner Ali Kiefer posted, that confidence is a skill, which means it's something you need to work on and something you can improve with practice. Back to Nicole, who'd been chipping away at her time with the help of that coach and those training partners, and her understanding that her mental approach to the marathon was holding her back from achieving her full potential. With all that in place, she went after her fourth marathon, Berlin. My goal for Berlin was to run 3.30. I was like, "Mm, I could probably do it. Now that's a 37-minute decrease. So I'm not really sure what was going on in my head at the time, but I felt strongly that it was possible and that I could do it. Um, And that's what I trained towards. You know, maybe having a coach, I believe that, oh, well, they'll just give me a plan for that and then it'll just happen. And the race went well. Uh, I did cross at 336, so still disappointed, (laughs) but still significant. You know, I after the fact, I learned, you know, that's that's huge. I ran it nonstop. It was hard, but mentally I pushed through and crossed that finish line and you know, I was so close to where I wanted to be, of course, six minutes off. So, you know, I was just at this point, it's like, uh, I'm always so close to my goal and I'm just not getting there. Nicole regrouped and set her sights on running two marathons the next year in 2019. Unfortunately, a stress fracture kept her out of one of those marathons, But after months of rehab, she was ready for the other one. She was headed back to Chicago. But unlike the first time she ran Chicago, this time around, she had the experience, the training, the coaching, the mental fortitude, and a newfound appreciation for being able to run injury-free. And she had one goal, to run fast enough to get into the Boston Marathon. It was like a redemption race um, the second time I was running Chicago. And at this point, I was reading like these really inspiring books. And I was like, I, unless a limb falls off of my body, I will hit my goal. It's going to happen. I'm not doing this again. I must do it. I want to run Boston. I know I can. And, you know, I was beyond determined, beyond Um, committed to the training and whether that meant running at 11 p.m. after a 12-hour shift um, my 15 miles you know my husband was out there in the car and at different checkpoints to support me and that's what I would do I mean I really wanted it 
And it's all, for me, it was all mental. Like I said, I just needed my head to be in the right place. I needed, you know, to be able to push through these barriers because the second that I felt like it was over or I told myself I'm over it, it was going to be over. Nicole's goal was to run 325. This would give her a 10-minute buffer below the Boston qualifying time for her age and sex, which was a comfortable margin, one that would all but guarantee an entry to the race. Uh, this race, for the first time of all the races, the stars aligned. I just felt strong. I felt that the pace was very manageable. And mile 24, I couldn't have been happier. One, because I felt amazing. And I was like, I only have 2.2 miles to go. That never happens. Never. So things were going really well. And once I crossed the finish line, I didn't know exactly what time I finished, but I knew that it was enough. And in the end, it ended up being 319. And I just, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It just went so well. It felt great. It was like someone entered my body and ran the race for me. That is the kind of magical day we all wish for. But to be clear, even on magical days, you still have to keep your head in the game. There will always be times when you must remind yourself why you're here. Times when you need to get some perspective. And Nicole knew just where to focus her mind to keep her going strong. I definitely really focused on the training. I focused on how much I sacrificed and how crazy my work schedule was and, you know, losing sleep because ultimately in order to train the way I did, there were going to be less hours of sleep, which is obviously not ideal when you're training, but something had to give. And, you know, I was very cautious about that. If I didn't sleep much one night, you know, to do a big run, then the next night I would give myself the additional sleep to recover. And, you know, it was really hard. I was really tired. I would get up at 4 a.m. to run before work, and then I'd be at work all day, and it's exhausting. And it was just back to back to back. And, you know, I really thought about that while I was running the race. Like, you know, I didn't go through all of that to give up. And, you know, I know I can do this. I trained harder than these paces during training, and I'm capable. If anything is going to stop me, it's my mind. And my stress fracture, you know, how miserable was I? And in tears some days when I would drive to and from work and see people running and I just couldn't do it, you know, and I would never take that for granted again, no matter how tired I was, you know, it's a privilege to be able to run. And so those were the thoughts going through my mind during the race. And, you know, I never looked back. Nicole had given herself a 16-minute buffer below the qualifying time. But just like everyone else, she had to wait for that confirmation email that said she had gotten in to the 125th Boston Marathon. That email came through, and I literally had to contain myself because it was dead silent in the room and everyone's doing their job, and it was the best moment. I just... Still can't believe it, really, and I, I just can't wait. Just for the experience. At this point, it's like I just want to run the race. I want to take it all in, enjoy it. 
just to be able to run Boston is such a privilege and something I thought would never be possible years ago. Oh, yes. Just to be able to experience Boston. I think this year, whether you're a first-timer or have run the race many times before, the experience is going to be extra special because we've all become acutely aware of how much we've missed this great event. I know I have. And as for my journey to the Boston Marathon, I knew it was well within my reach because I'd run a marathon fast enough to qualify and get in a few years before I ever thought of wanting to come and run the Boston Marathon. When I did finally decide to go for my BQ a few years later, I will fully admit that I came in overconfident and I didn't train enough. I made the big, big mistake of underestimating this event, and I have two really poor performances to show for it. I'd forgotten how hard I'd trained before and that this isn't a distance that you can just muscle through or finish on the merit of your grit. You have to come prepared. You have to have done the work, and you have to deliver on the day. So I did, at the 2019 Edmonton Marathon. It was hard, as it should be, and I got it done. And I can't wait to go the distance in October. Looking ahead in this series, we'll be checking back in with the runners one last time before the marathon to find out how their final preparations have gone. It is almost go time. We'll also have a couple follow-up episodes after October 11th, one looking back at last year's virtual marathon, which reveals both how we were able to adapt to the moment and how much we missed not being able to do the real thing. And then, of course, we'll check in to see how everyone's experience at Boston 2021 went. Please stay tuned for those. I also welcome you to visit our website, stridesforwardpodcast.com. On the page for this series, you can find some extra information and great photos of each of the runners. We're also active on Instagram and Twitter, and our handle is at stridesforward. You can also find us on Facebook. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode, and please tell a friend. And, of course, thank you for listening. We love telling these stories, but we could not do it without you. Your being here and sharing Strides Forward with others truly is what keeps us going. We also couldn't do this series without our incredible featured runners. A big thank you to Patty, Amanda, Rochelle, Zara, Maria, Nicole, Jana, and Yao. We also want to give a special thank you to the Boston Athletic Association for their help with this series, especially Chris Lotzbaum, and especially in this episode, Suzanne Walmsley. And thank you to my PodProd crew for keeping me grounded and motivated. The Strides Forward team includes me, Cherie Turner, your host and producer. Cormac O'Regan creates all the original music and does sound design. And he does that from his studio in Cork, Ireland. April Mariner of Bonfire Collaborative does all the design work for the show, including the website, social media, merch, and logo. She comes to you from Truckee, California, and you can find April at bonfirecollaborative.com. Please join us for the next step along these Boston journeys. Until then, this is Cherie wishing you many healthy, joyful strides forward. That starts forward, forward.
should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.